I've said many times at the Oasis over the years, if that didn't bless you, your blesser's broken. <laughs> thank you so much, Nicole, and thank all of you for being here tonight and those of you that are joining us. They're in your homes tonight as well. We're going to start an amazing study. The book of Revelation is one of my favorite books, and it's one of my favorite books for this reason. It talks a lot about Jesus. The very first five words of the book tell us what the main thing is about the book. It's not about end-time events. It's not about prophecy. It's primarily an unveiling and an uncovering of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, if we study the book of Revelation and we are not more uh, knowledgeable of who Jesus is, that we have not locked down the vision of the glory of Jesus more in our minds and in our hearts, if we've not embraced him more in our hearts, if our admiration, appreciation, and, and adoration of Jesus has not grown through our study of Revelation, then we've missed the main thrust of the whole book. This book was given by Jesus to his servants to strengthen them. The churches that this message was originally given to were under tremendous pressure from the world and suffering persecution, and they were in need of encouragement. And so guess what God did? He gave them a vision of himself. You and I need that today. If we're going to be strengthened, encouraged, comforted, if we're going to be ready to meet the challenges of this day, if we're going to be victorious spiritually, if we're going to be an overcomer, if we're going to be more than a conqueror, we need to have a real-life vision of the glorified Jesus Christ. And we need to open up our hearts more and more each and every day to him. Let me share, first of all, from chapter 1, a few preliminaries, if you will. One of the things we see in this chapter is sort of the chain of command, if you will, of how God gets revelation to us. Notice in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, which must happen very soon. He made it clear by sending his angel to his servant John, who then testified to everything that he saw concerning the word of God and the testimony about Jesus Christ. Then this message from John, verse 4, was to be sent to seven churches. And we're going to be talking about those churches in the next couple of weeks in chapter 2 and 3. And you even see over in verse 11, he says, write in a book what you see and send it to these seven local churches churches. So notice the chain of command. God gives it to an angel who gives it to John on the Isle of Patmos, who gives it to his servants. And in a sense, that same sort of chain of command is still in operation today. God gives his revelation down that chain of command and gives it into our hands then it is our responsibility to find out from God, do you want me to pass this revelation that you've given me on to others so that the message of God and the revelation of Jesus Christ can continue to flow. Notice that this book comes with a blessing. Verse 3, blessed, spiritual prosperity is what it means to be blessed. One will be spiritually prosperous if you read this book aloud 
because this book was being read aloud in those seven churches. And blessed are those who also hear it, listen to it carefully, and then follow the things written in it because the time is near. The time is near, meaning that God has these end time events, these last days things in his hands. And, and, and it's recognizing that God has a hold on the events of human history. And of course, we talked about that in the book of Daniel. So what we're going to do tonight, even in chapter one, is we're going to be reminded of who Jesus is. Because this letter has come directly from him and trickled down to his servants in these churches. And now 2,000 years later, it is in our hands. And one of the questions we need to ask ourselves throughout this study is not only who is on the throne of our life, because again, remember, this book is all about worship. Worship takes place virtually on every page of the, of the book of Revelation. It is the unifying center of action that happens throughout the book. The best way to ensure a life of victory and to be one that can overcome is to live a lifestyle of worship. And worship is more than just filling my head with more knowledge about who Jesus is and locking down even a correct vision of who Jesus is. It is embracing with my heart more of Jesus. See, that's what worship is. So notice verse 4. From John, who also needed encouragement because he was suffering on the Isle of Patmos, to the seven churches that are in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from he who is, who was, and who is still to come. He is declaring there to us to strengthen us, to comfort us, to encourage us that God is sovereign over past, present, and future. He is the Lord over history. He is the one who is coming or the coming one still to come. In fact, look down in verse 7. We are reminded that he is returning one day with the clouds. And I love this. This, not to get too technical here, but in the original language, this is what is called in grammar the futuristic present. You say, what is the futuristic present? It means it carries the idea that literally Christ is on his way. I love that. Christ is on his way. He's in the process of coming it's the idea that his return is imminent and that he could come at any time. And then you'll notice that in verse 4, this revelation is also from the sevenfold spirit of God before his throne. So I take verse 4 as a description, first of all, of God the Father, he who is, who was, and who is still to come. Because remember, God is distinct persons, but he's also one, and that the seven spirits who are before the throne is picturing the Holy Spirit, because then in verse 5, it says, this revelation is also from Jesus Christ. So in verses 4 and 5, you have the understanding that this revelation is from the entire Trinity. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son have all revealed this, but what we, they are revealing is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. That's what this book is all about, okay? And that's part of the reason why 
it's such a blessing to be able to read this book over and over again and, and understand it and gain more understanding of it. Because when you read it from the proper perspective of why God gave it to us, it's to open up and unveil and uncover more of Jesus. That's what this book is all about. If we get caught up in the end time events that it prophesies or in the details of prophecy, but we're not focused on Jesus Christ, then again, we've missed the main thrust of the book. It is to exalt him over all of these things. It, it is basically a book that is the consummation. It, it is declaring to us as his servants and as his children, Christ's servants and children, and followers, the consummation of his victory, Jesus, over hell, over death, over the grave, over sin, over the devil, over everything. He conquers everything in this book. And because he conquers, then we conquer too, which is why this book should be such a strength and encouragement and comfort to us if we understand the true thrust of this book. So let's look at just for a moment now and slow down for a moment, and let's look at Jesus here in verse 5. First of all, he is described as the faithful witness. Jesus is the ultimate example of one who perseveres in faithfulness in spite of opposition and persecution and rejection and all of that. When he was here on earth, he was faithful to his God. He went out there, for instance, in the wilderness and was tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights without any food and he remained faithful to God. He is showing us that if you just follow me, you can be faithful too. You can persevere too because your victory is through me and I will enable you to be an overcomer. I will enable you to conquer. I will enable you to have spiritual victory. Always remember that Christ is the faithful witness. He's also the firstborn from among the dead. He is sovereign over life and over death, and he is the first one to ever rise from the dead, never to die again. He is the ruler over the kings of the earth, we talked a lot about this in the book of Daniel. He is supreme over all earthly rule. Revelation eleven fifteen says the kingdom of this world will one day become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he, Jesus Christ, will reign forever and ever. He's the ruler. And as I said before our worship time, in Revelation 19, 16, John says, I see him coming. And as I see him coming, I see a, a name that is written on his clothing and on his thigh, and it is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the supreme one. He, he is the, the sovereign one. He is one who has no equal. That's who Jesus is. And God wants us to get into our minds and lock down into our minds who Jesus is, you see. Especially as we're going to see later on in his glorified state. Then I love this. This should be an encouragement to you. To the one who loves us. And what that means is he always loved us. He's loving us right now. And he always will love us. He never stops loving us. 
We literally are immersed in the love of Jesus Christ every day. It's like we live under the waterfall of his love. His love literally pours out from his heart to us every day. He loves us. And one of the ways he demonstrated his unconditional, selfless, sacrificial love was by going to the cross and setting us free once and for all from our sins at the cost of his own blood. For we were redeemed not with corruptible things like silver and gold from our vain manner of life, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's how we were set free. And when you think about the glory of who Jesus is and the fact that we even saw Sunday that he is the one who literally spoke the universe into existence out of nothing, and yet as glorious as Jesus is, he was willing to humble himself and come down to earth in this human body in order to allow those that he created to nail him to a cross so that he could take upon himself the sin of all humanity of all time and become a curse for us on that cross. Wow. I mean, when we begin to think about that, I mean, this is even a terrible analogy. There is no, in fact, can I just say, before any time I teach the word, I feel so inadequate, but I just feel like any human being who tries to get up and in some way capture who Jesus is, we, we all fall short. It's like a gnat flying in front of the furnace of our sun. It, it's just impossible. It's just impossible. Then verse 6, another result of his love <laughs> is that he's appointed us to rule and reign with him in an eternal kingdom. It's not enough that he cleansed us of all of our sin, forgave us of all of our sin, built a permanent eternal relationship with us that will never go away, but then wants us to rule and reign with him forever and ever in his eternal kingdom. No wonder then, at the end of verse 6, what is the response of John? Worship. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. When you and I start to get a revelation of Jesus Christ, when we start to see who Jesus is and what he is and what he's done, the only proper response is worship. It's just to say, my goodness, God, you're unbelievable. Isn't he? Isn't he? Verse 7, look, he is returning with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes on the earth will mourn because of him. The pride and haughtiness of man will be brought low in that day. And this will certainly come to pass. Amen. John is saying, oh, God said it. It's most assuredly going to happen. This is God's yes and amen. Now, notice Jesus here then begins to address John. And notice this is one of the first of four I am statements in the book of Revelation. 
Remember several months ago, we went through the Gospel of John and we looked at the I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John? Well, there are four I am statements of Jesus in the book of Revelation. The first one is in verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega. From beginning to end and everything in between, I got it covered. The second I am statement is found in verse 17 of chapter 1. I am the first and the last. He is creator, sustainer, and sovereign over all. The third one is found in verse chapter 2, verse 23. I am the one who searches the minds and the hearts chapter 2, verse 23. And then the final I am statement is found in verse 16 of chapter 22. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright and morning star. I am. Even in the book of Revelation, he is declaring who he is. He gave his servants, verse 1, a revelation of him so that you and I even could be strengthened, encouraged, and comforted. And so, as we are strengthened, encouraged, and comforted, our heart hopefully will open up and embrace more of Jesus, in a sense that we will fall more in love with Jesus as we see him unveiled in his undiminished glory, you see. Because when we begin to see him for who he really is, then we can truly appreciate the incarnation even more. We can appreciate his suffering even more when we see who he really is, the, the height that he came from and the depth that he came to for you and I. If we ever doubt our value and worth, if we ever doubt God's love for us. All we have to think about is the glory of this Jesus, our God, and what he did for us. My goodness. That's amazing. Then he goes on to describe himself as the Lord God, verse 8, Adonai Jehovah, the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is still to come. So notice He's being described the same way that God the Father was described up in verse 4. He is the one who unites past, present, and future in himself. He's got it all covered from beginning to end. He's the alpha, the first letter of the Greek alphabet. He's the omega, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. From beginning to end and everything in between, Jesus has it. The all-powerful, the end of verse 8 the one who has all power, the almighty God. No one is greater. No one has more power than Jesus does. Every other force in the universe has to submit and surrender to the power of Jesus Christ. In fact, put all the powers of the world and the powers even of hell and all of that together, and they are still, even together, united, no match for Jesus Christ. He is the all mighty, all-powerful God. So John said, I'm writing these things to you, and I'm sending these to the seven churches. Verse 11. Then I want to get to verse 12. He says, I turned to see whose voice was speaking to me, and when I did so, John begins to see a vision. 
And in that vision, he saw seven golden lampstands, which we understand at the end of verse 20 are the seven churches. The church is represented as a lampstand, literally a menorah, okay? A light giver. Jesus expects his church to give off light, his light, his revelation to all around. And verse 13 says, he's in the midst. We're going to talk more about that in the next couple of weeks when we get to chapter 2 and chapter 3. Jesus wants his people to know, I'm right there with you. I'm right smack dab in the middle of your local church. Because guess what? I'm the head of the church. And I'm right there seeing what's all going on. I know my church. I know my people. And we're going to talk more about that in the next couple of weeks. But he's right in the midst of the lampstands. Now, what John then begins to see is a vision of the glorified Christ. If you and I ever needed to live off of a vision, all of us need to learn to live off of the vision of the glorified Christ. Because too many Christians, when we picture Jesus, we predominantly picture a Jesus who came the first time in humility. The human Jesus. The one that went to the cross. And I'm not saying we shouldn't think of him in that way at all. In fact, even like Sunday, he asks that we make sure that we don't forget that by observing his table every so often so that we never forget what he did for us, okay? But he doesn't want that to be, if you will, the foundation and fuel that we live life off of. He wants us to regard him now not as seeing him as some English actor from a 50s or 60s biblical epic. Yeah, that's how we view Jesus. He's some British actor who played Jesus in some 50s or 60s biblical epic. No, 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 no. In fact, before we get to this vision, turn back with me real quick to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, a very important verse that's tucked away in 2 Corinthians that we need to even bring out tonight before we go any further. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul says this, So then from now on, we acknowledge no one from an outward human point of view. That's not how we're going to look at people. We're not going to just look at people on the surface. We're not going to judge them just externally. Even though, notice, he goes on to say, we even knew Christ from that kind of point of view. In other words, he's saying, guess what? We all that saw Jesus, we are heard about him, had him described to us by others who saw him or lived with him or followed him. We all know physically, they do, exactly what Jesus looked like on earth. And they could probably either paint a picture or draw a picture of what Jesus looked like on earth. But don't miss what Paul said next. Even though we knew him from a human point of view, now, now, we do not know him in that way any longer. Paul says, don't think of Jesus just 
in that way. You need, meaning we, need to think of Jesus in the way he's being described in the book of Revelation chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. So go back there with me. In the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man. He was dressed in a robe extending down to his feet, and he wore a wide golden belt around his chest. It's a picture of regality, of royalty, of sovereignty. His head and his hair were as white as wool, picturing his wisdom, even as white as snow. His eyes were like a fiery flame, picturing his omniscience, the fact that nothing escapes the view of Jesus Christ, and it is also a penetrating gaze that can see not only everything, but see through everything to the heart of what's really going on. His feet are like polished bronze refined in a furnace, picturing the divine warrior motif. His voice was like the roar of many waters. Can you imagine? How many of you have ever been to Niagara Falls? Raise your hand. Yeah. I mean, that's just what I think of in a human thing is listening to all that water come across the falls. John says, the voice of my Savior now, it's like the thunder of many waters. His voice is powerful. We've got to remember that when we're in the midst of, of, of our daily routine and, and life is beginning to get to us, we've got to recapture this is who our Jesus is. He's no longer hanging on a cross. He's risen from the dead, and he is the glorified Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the one who was, who is, and who is still to come. That's who our Jesus is. He held seven stars, verse 16, in his right hand, basically saying, I got this. I'm the one in control. I'm the one in, in authority. And a sharp double-edged sword extending out of his mouth speaking again of the word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword. His face shone like the sun shining at full strength. We can't even look directly at the sun. That's the face. No wonder the Bible says that when God shuts off the lights of the universe that he created, that the new heaven and the new earth won't even need light anymore because Jesus Christ is going to light up the universe. That's how glorious Jesus is. See, again, this is so important that we get this. And, and, and trust me, we're all vulnerable to this. We can all get caught up in the daily grind of our earthly lives down here. And we can start to get sucked down by the world and the flesh and the devil. And we've got to remember who our Jesus is, who we're connected to, who we are a child of, who we are a servant of, 
Who's really in control? We've got to raise our sights and get him back where he belongs so that no matter what we're going through, including like John being thrown on an aisle to die because of his testimony for Jesus Christ, that he doesn't get discouraged because he always keeps this vision of who his Jesus is before him at all times. That's why this is so important. The reaction of John to this vision. Don't miss it in verse 17. John says, when I saw him, I fell down at his feet as though I were dead. Now remember who this is. This is the apostle that felt so comfortable with Jesus at the table that he laid his head on his chest. There was nobody more familiar with Jesus than John. Nobody more comfortable with Jesus than John. Yet when John saw the undiminished, unveiled, uncovered glory of Jesus Christ, he was overcome. Because he never saw him in that way while he was here. I mean, even on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus just gave a very short glimpse of this glory. Just enough again to what? To strengthen, encourage, and comfort his followers, saying, guys, I'm more than what you see. I'm so much more than what you see. You've got to see beyond my humanity here and see into who I really am. And I, Jesus, can give you the spiritual eyes and the spiritual vision to be able to see me as I really am right now. And Jesus is doing that to his servants right now. He did it to his servants in these seven churches, and he's doing it with us. He's saying, get your eyes on me. No wonder that many times throughout the Bible it says, keep your eyes on Jesus. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Get our eyes on Jesus, but not the Jesus that's, you know, weak and frail and, no, no, this Jesus. We need a vision of the glorified Christ. So even John, as familiar as he was, as comfortable as he was, when he saw Jesus in all his glory, was more than he could take. And yet notice the words of Jesus to him. Jesus, in all of his glory, in all of his splendor, in all of his majesty. I can just see him doing this. This is who our Jesus is, and this is why I love him so as well. He's so humble. He stooped down and placed his right hand on John and said, John, don't be afraid. And Jesus would say the same thing to us. He doesn't want us to be afraid. He wants us to be strengthened by who he is, not afraid. He wants us to see him in all of his glory so that no matter what we deal with in the world, the flesh, or the devil, and what we're going through or anything else, we can be strong in him. But it's only if we keep him where he is. It's only when we worship him as he deserves. It's only when we acknowledge him and put him in his rightful place which is why we go back again to the very beginning of why this book comes with a blessing. A blessing. Because it is a blessing when we see Jesus 
in all of his glory and begin to look at him that way and live out of that understanding. But again, it has to be more than me opening up my head and being strengthened and encouraged and comforted by who I know he is here. It is also opening up my heart and loving him more as I grow to know him more. That's true worship. And then notice what he says. Don't be afraid. Again, he repeats, I am the first and the last, John. I'm the one who lives. Yes, I was dead, but look, I'm alive. Death can't hold me. The grave can't hold me. Hell can't hold me. The death, nothing can hold me. Nothing has authority or power over me. I'm the one who holds the keys of death and Hades. I'm the one who's been exalted to reign eternally. I'm the only one who has the power and authority over death and destiny. It's me. It's Jesus. It's your Savior. It's the one who loved you, who loves you now, who will always love you. I've got you because I've got everything else. Therefore, write. Write what you saw, what is and what will be after these things. And then note, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. I believe, and I think I shared this with you last week or a couple weeks ago when we were talking about angels over certain geographical regions and all of that. I believe that God places one of his angels over every local church. And I think that's what he's referring to in verse 20 when he says, oh, by the way, I even have those angels in my hand. Because I make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing as they watch over my people at that church. But my church is to be a light. And the, the best way that you and I can be a light is to reveal who Jesus Christ is and to live out who Jesus Christ is every day. That's why he wants us to be strong in him so that, so that people can see, again, why are you so full of joy? Why do you have such hope? Why, how can you, you know, navigate life the way you do? Because my Jesus is the glorified Christ, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, who is the one who was, who is, and who is still to come, the one who is on the throne, the one who has no equal. That's who my Jesus is. That's why I can live the way I do. And that's why Jesus said, I need to strengthen my people, and here's how I'm going to do it. And God always chooses the best way to do something. He says, I'm going to give them a vision of me. I want them to see me in my glory so that they won't forget who it is that loves them and saved them and has a plan and purpose for their life and who's got them from beginning to end in my very capable hand. And no man can pluck them out of my hand. So tonight, and for the foreseeable future, Let's never forget the revelation of Jesus Christ that we've been given in Revelation chapter 1. And come back next week for chapter 2 where we see that when Jesus is right smack dab in the middle of his church, he begins to talk to each church about what he sees in each fellowship and what he likes that he sees 
and what needs corrected that he sees. And that has great application for us because we are part of his church. So I hope you'll come back. Hope you'll join us from home next week. Thanks for being here. God bless. We'll see you next week.